Father, we are so grateful that we can gather at your feet to learn from you. May your spirit, oh God, illuminate our minds that our faith will be according to knowledge, that our faith will be strong to move every mountain that confronts us to the end that your kingdom may prosper in our lives and prosper through us. For it is in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, we continue our studies, the book of Colossians. Okay, I read from verses, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Christ is the, this is the New Living Translation, Christ is the invisible God. He existed. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see, and he made the things we, the things we can see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning, supreme overall, who rise from the dead. So he's first in everything. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were the, his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world. And I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. Amen. Amen. Now, we, we begin our journey today meditating on the total adequacy of Christ, of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. This is part of the mysteries of Christ that teach us who our Savior is and who we are in him. It also teaches us how our world came to be and how it holds together in all its intricate mathematical and geophysical laws which science 
is unveiling day by day as knowledge increases in these end times as revealed to us in Daniel 12, 4. For in the last days, that scripture says, knowledge shall increase. Hallelujah. Amen. Indeed, knowledge has increased and knowledge is still increasing. The wisdom of God in all of creation is being distilled into the mind of man in tiny drops. Stop and think about yourself as you sit or stand where you are. The biologists tell us that over a billion activities go on in your body. And over 99.9% of them go on beyond conscious control in a self-regulating way that keeps our bodies functional and adjusted to our world and our environment. But are these functions, this is the mystery of it all, that these functions are coded into a single cell that you need to magnify over 40 times before you can see it. That's what boggles the mind. A billion things in something you cannot see except with the aid of a microscope. This is what we call miniaturization at its most incredible level. To encode over a billion things in a unit so tiny reveals the awesome wonder of the creative wisdom of God. When I was young, each time I see a man that has a PhD, I began to imagine how full of knowledge he must be. When I grew older, I knew better that PhD means he knows a lot about a very small aspect of what is there to be known. So PhD is knowing a lot, a lot about very little. But the wisdom of God is unsearchable. Now, we begin with the renewed mind. Why is that necessary? Because as we read this portion of the letter, we realize, we must realize that in stating these truths, the Apostle Paul was actually responding to some trends of thought that were attempting to derail the faith of the believers. And that's why in the last verse that we read in verse 23, he said to them, you must continue, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you had the good news. Because, because there, were, there were elements that were trying to derail the faith of these believers. We see this um, effort, this kind of effort in a few other letters. One of the most remarkable of which is Jude's letter. The purpose of which is stated in Jude chapter 1, 3 to 4. My dear friends, I was doing my best to write to you about the salvation we share in common. When I felt the need of writing at once to encourage you to fight on, on for the faith which was and for all God has given to his people. For some, verse 3 says, for some godless people have slipped in unnoticed among us. Persons who distort the message about the grace of our God in order to excuse their immoral ways and who reject Jesus Christ, our only Master and Lord. Long ago, the scriptures predicted the condemnation they have received 
So Jude, the slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James, was minded to write generally about our common salvation when he felt the urgent need to address a creeping heresy that was threatening the purity and integrity of our faith. Now, the theologians tell us that the Apostle Paul, in this section of his letter, was addressing certain heresies that were threatening the purity of our faith in God through Christ. This heresy is known as Gnosticism, and the adherents are known as Gnostics. Here is what Webster's Dictionary has to say about Gnosticism. It is the thought and practice, especially of various cults of late pre-Christian and early Christian centuries, distinguished by the conviction that matter is evil and that emancipation comes through Gnosis. And what exactly does this Gnosis mean? Esoteric knowledge of spiritual truth held by the ancient Gnostics to be essential to salvation. In other words, they were trying to intellectualize the faith and to say that before you can be saved, oh, you need to pass through certain knowledge. You need to gain certain knowledge. You know, which day the Gnostics will have to give you. Now, without further digressing to Gnosticism and their beliefs, let us savor the truths that came out as a response to their heresy. The first we read is in verses 15 to 17. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. This allies with what our Lord Jesus Christ said in John 14, 9 and 10. He who has seen me has seen the Father. And then in verse 10, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Christ is deity, enveloped with the body of humanity in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit of God, as revealed in Luke 1.35. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. The Bible tells us that he took on human flesh so he could do the will of God and so show humanity what we should be about in the world, as revealed in Hebrews 10, 5 to 7. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book as it is written of me to do your will, O God. 
Now, the King James Version of the Bible and the New King James Version, they call our Lord Jesus Christ the firstborn of all creation. Now, this tells us of his pre-existence revealed in John chapter 1, 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. The early fathers in the Nicene Creed, they tell us what this means, that he was begotten and not made and was instrumental in the creation of all other things. Now, begotten, not made, pre-existence. This is what pre-existence is all about. He was not made, he was begotten. I know that there is in nature uh, 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 something like that, but I will not use that analogy. <laughs> and this is also what explains his preeminence his preeminence, but we'll come to that later. Now, the next thing is, uh, is um, the fact that he created all things, revealed in verse 16, for through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him, and for him, created through him and for him. Next, we stop at his creative work. He is the creator of all things in heaven and on earth. So to those who say, now that's where Paul addressed the matter of the Gnostics. To those who say that matter is irredeemably evil and inherently evil, he counters that Christ, who is the visible image of the invisible God, is the creator of all things. So it is impossible to say that matter is inherently evil and irredeemably evil from creation. It's impossible. Because the Gnostics believe that uh, lower spirits made matter. Okay, we begin then with his creative work on earth or the creation of matter, we are told that at the end of the creative exercise, in Genesis chapter 1, the Lord God Almighty saw that it was all very good. In Genesis 1.31, then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. However, when Adam and Eve rejected God's will, in favor of self-will in the Garden of Eden, they introduced e evil in creation. First, the man was totally corrupted, as revealed in Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 to 6. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Now, but what happened to the rest of creation after that? We learn this from Romans chapter 8, verses 20 to 22. Against, the Bible says, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, 
The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Now, this is the revelation from Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 to 18. And to the man he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. So when they're talking about the evil in matter, this is where it originated. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. Matter was cursed as a result of the rebellion of its managers, Adam and Eve. So it is untenable to say that matter is inherently and irredeemably evil. The evil in matter and through matter was also a product of the fall of man. In the scripture in Romans, we are told that matter also exists in the hope that when the children of God are revealed, clothed in their immortality, matter will also be redeemed, as we will see later. The creation of things then in heaven is stated as a matter of fact in John 1, 1 to 3. Okay, so Genesis tells us in a broad view, John tells us in detail that when God said, let there be, it was the, the living word that caused the invisible creation to become visible. So the, the, the living word has always been the instrument for incarnation, whether it be uh, uh, matter or, 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 or creation, other creation. So when God speaks, that's the living word, and that transforms the invisible to become visible. Okay? So in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God. The word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. That's it. God created everything through him. And nothing was created except through him. Everything was also created for him. The way to understand this is that man was given the authority to rule the earth, which was created for him. Our Lord Jesus Christ, by, becoming, by coming into the world, became the second Adam, or preferably the new Adam, as revealed in 1 Corinthians 15 from verse 45. For the scripture says, the first man, Adam, was created a living being. But the last Adam is the life-giving spirit. It is not the spiritual that comes first, but the physical and then the spiritual. The first Adam made of earth came from the earth. The second Adam came from heaven. Those who belong to the earth are like the one who was made of earth. Those who are of heaven are like the one who came from heaven. Verse 49, just as we wear the likeness of the man made of earth, so we will where also the likeness of the man from heaven. So, the world was created for the first Adam who failed. The second Adam from heaven came and re-established the will of God as the ultimate pursuit of man. And so what he created for the first Adam, he now inherited 
as the second Adam. So we can see when the scripture said all things were created for him, it is so that as the second Adam, he will lead humanity to use matter and all the resources created for man to pursue the will of God on earth as it is done in heaven. And then the next um, relationship that we are going to look at is Colossians 1.18, our Lord Jesus Christ and the church, our Lord Jesus Christ and the church. In Colossians 1.18, we are told he is the head of his body, the church. He is the source of the body's life. This is today's, today's English version. He is the firstborn son who was raised from death in order that he alone might have the first place in all things or that he might have the preeminence. Okay. Now, uh, let me read this um, a verse from other translations. Here's the New Revised Standard Version. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. And then the New King James says, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things may have the preeminence. Now, we come again to embrace the organic nature of the body of Christ and his head, detailed in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 14. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Now, the church of Jesus Christ, which is his body, is not a headless body. The head of the body is Christ. This analogy is very significant. Because in the physical body, all the different parts of our body are, are wired to the head through nerves. The control center of, of the life and function of our body is in the head from where it sends to and receives signals from practically every unit or organ in the body. You know, if you hurt a, 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 a part of your leg, it will report to the brain so that you can know something is going on there. If that, if that connection is severed, you will know that your, your leg is, is, is in fire. As we know, it is seen in some diseases where the nerves are destroyed. Okay? So, the control center of the life and function of our body is the head from where it sends to and receives signals. When it receives signals, it processes it and sends its own signal to direct response in its scope and its duration. It is in this context that our Lord Jesus Christ is the source of the life of the church, his body. In a voluntary relationship of faith, we are to distill our responses in life from him as the will of God is communicated to us through the relationship we have with God through him by the Holy Spirit. In other words, 
I cannot stand and, and function without my head. No, there is very little that can be done, you know, but my head must control everything, including the ones that are beyond consciousness. The fact that they're beyond consciousness doesn't mean the head does not control them. No, they're still controlled, but they're beyond the will, they're beyond the conscious will. Okay, and so the same way, because of the analogy, in the same way, Christ being my head, he must direct and control all the things I say and do so that they'll be consistent with my creation. The same way my head must continue to control me so that uh, uh, I can continue to act as a sensible, reasonable man. And that's why, and that's why in our local parlance, when somebody is behaving somehow, what do we say? We say his head is not uh, correct. Yes, say his head is not correct. So in the same way, when we are in Christ and we are behaving funny, then something is wrong. You know, it's not that our head, the head is not correct, but the body is, 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 is severed, is totally disconnected from this head. You know, it is important then to, to state, therefore, that any Christian desiring to live the God life on earth must make our Lord Jesus Christ the source of his or her life. And this takes place through the communion of the Holy Spirit. That is, that's how the, 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 uh, Jesus controls us. That's why I've always often said that if you want to know why Jesus Christ sent his Holy Spirit to live in us, the one answer is control. Because it's through the Holy Spirit that he controls us. And the Bible tells us how all this works. He said the Spirit of God will search the mind of God and then he will distill the mind of God to the spirit in man. And then the spirit in man will distill it to the mind of man. Now, what about this matter of being the first iron son? What about this matter of being the firstborn son? We learn this from Romans chapter 8, verse 29. The Bible says, For whom he did for know, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. The divine intent in the redemption of humanity, in other words, the reason behind creating humanity is to raise men and women who will live life on earth like our Lord Jesus Christ. He came to model, okay, the God life for all humanity. Ever since the word became flesh and dwelt, and dwelt among us in John 1.14, he became the first and the model of what God's children on earth should be like. We are therefore to be conformed into his image by purging ourselves of all carnalities and replacing them with godliness. The Apostle John told us that we may try our best, but that when we see him at his appearing, whatever is left of this rebellion to the divine will and the divine order will be purged. In 1 John 3, 2, he says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, 
We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has his hope, this hope in him, in him purifies himself just as he is pure. In other words, we can, we can begin and continue this, this work of purification to conform into the image and nature of Christ. Yes, we can begin it ourselves, and we should begin it ourselves. Okay? But the Bible is saying that it is impossible for us to complete it and be like exactly like Christ. No. There will always be what is left to be done. And when, we, when he appears and we see him as, it, as he is, by that power which he has to transform us into his image, he will complete the work. So, we are being molded daily to become like him. We are not to become like men, no matter how good they may be. Because it is a risky thing to model your spiritual life after that of another man. So, our, our pastors may be wonderful people. Our mentors may be heavenly, say, you know, people. They may be almost divine in our own opinion. Our general overseers, our bishops, our cardinals, yes. But none of them <laughs> is anywhere near what we should be because they're still human. And that's why the Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I remember when I was a young Christian, I tell this story all the time. You know, I had, I had people in the fellowship while I was in the university that uh, I thought are the sort of Christian, you know, one should be like. And one of them was the president of the Biodiversity Christian Union at the time, you know, Brother Biola. And, and, and he spoke in whispers, you know, good morning. How are you, brother? Ah. And when I saw that thing, I felt it was really worrying me. <laughs> that because I, 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 I knew I was a noisemaker and, and there was nowhere I could come down to that level of talking in whispers. So, 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 no, we have not been called to model after a man. So, God sent a preacher to us in, in those days who said to us, unknowingly though, he didn't know what I was going through, he said to us, God doesn't want you to be like another person. Jesus is the model. So, he wants to transform you to be like Jesus, but still you. So, if you are noisy, he will use your noise. If you are quiet, he will use your quiet. You know, whatever you have, he will use it. But you will just turn it into the quietness of Christ, the type of noise that only Christ makes. You know, it will transform everyone to be like him. This is why it is at the least improper. At the worst, preposterous and very presumptuous for any human being to entertain the title of preeminence. Only our Lord Jesus Christ is preeminent because he is the model. Okay, we go to the next thoughts that the Apostle Paul addressed here. The fullness of God in Christ. Verse 19 says, For God in all his fullness was pleased. Okay, Colossians 1.19. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. This is the meaning and reason for the incarnation revealed in John 1.14. And the word 
became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, it is important to grasp this truth that full divinity and full humanity coexisted in the man, Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ, whichever one you prefer. The prophet Isaiah was the first to reveal this in Isaiah 9, verse 6, where he said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The child that is born to us is Jesus, the son of Joseph and Mary. The son that is given to us is Christ, the only begotten son of God, the Father. So, in Jesus the Christ, we have full humanity, housing, full divinity. The purpose is so that humanity will rise to receive our restored divinity so that we can again become one with God through Christ as revealed in John 14, 20. When I am raised to life again, Jesus said, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. In other words, it is this mystery of the relationship we have with Christ that we, you and I should latch on to because we have become, we have made, we have been made to become one with God through Christ. Everybody needs to understand that because Jesus said uh, to the Jews, I am the Father of one. And he said, and he said to uh, Philip in John 14, he says, he says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. But here he says, you will make a discovery after my resurrection that just as I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, so am I in you and you in me. And so we, we can, we can enter into this unity with God and see ourselves where we should really belong. That in Christ, Christ is on the right, one with God. On the left, Christ is one with me. So through Christ, I have become one with God. This is the mystery of our calling. And it is necessary for us to rise into it so that we can exercise the divinity, his divinity in our humanity. We, we, we can have, that's why the Bible says, let Christ dwell in your heart by faith in Ephesians 3.17 so that you can begin to live the Christ life or better still, allow the indwelling Christ to live his life through us, express his divinity through our humanity. Now we go to um, the reconciliation in verses 20 and 22. Colossians 1, 20 to 22. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. 
This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Okay? Reconciliation and making peace with things in heaven and things on earth. We are familiar with making peace with things on earth. We are told in Romans 5, 1-2, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, we pick up two vital things about our salvation here. The first is that we have peace with God through the forgiveness of our sins, procured through the blood of Jesus Christ, okay, on the cross of Calvary. And it is through that also that we, that we, are, we receive the atonement, which is the covering. And the, the book of Hebrews says, it didn't just cover our sins like the blood of goats and animals, but it purged it, okay? The second is that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. For as we learn from Romans 8.30, and those he predestined, he also called, those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. There is a glory to be revealed at the appearing of Jesus Christ, which saints triumphant are yet to receive. In other words, the saints in heaven already, they are yet to receive it. We are told in that hall of faith in Hebrews 11, 39 to 40, and all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. In other words, they are waiting. They are waiting for immortality in the body. You see, that is the glory that, that humanity has attained immortality. But in the body, there will be a body. We will not be disembodied spirits like angels, but we will have immortality in our bodies. This is what is called the glorification of the saints, triumphant, and the saints militant on earth. It is the perfection. It is called the perfection of the saints that will take place at the appearing of Christ when we shall be like him. According to 1 John 3, 2, we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. And, and how was he? When he rose from the dead, it is that body we are going to wear, that body that can eat, can eat food, it can pass through closed doors. You know, it is a body. Because that's why, that's when they told Thomas that he came, he came through uh, 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 the wall. And Thomas is like, I have to put my hand up. I have to put my hand. Because he couldn't imagine, you know, the resurrected body. Now, neither can you and I imagine the resurrected body. But Jesus demonstrated some of his capacities when he rose from the dead. Now, the work of perfecting the saints is being done on earth through the ministry of apostles, prophets, and teachers, pastors, and evangelists, offices, and officers given to the church by Christ, as revealed in Ephesians 4, from verse 11, and he himself gave some to the apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the divine of the body of Christ, till we all come to the 
to the unity of the of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, the perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay, now, because of our time, we're going to stop it here and pick it up next week, uh, Monday. But but let us bear uh, these few things in mind as we, as we pause for questions. Number one is contrary to the view of the Gnostics, our Lord Jesus Christ, by putting on the body, which is matter, redeemed matter, which had come under the curse with the rest of creation as a result of the fall of man. Death and decay entered the world of matter, but by putting on matter and imparting immortality to it through his resurrection by the Holy Spirit, matter is now ordained to enter into the glory of the saints, the appearing of Jesus, and there will also be a new heaven and a new earth. Number two, matter is not inherently and irredeemably evil because it was created by God through Christ and it was also created for Christ. Number three, our Lord Jesus Christ is prehistoric and so was before all things. He not only created all things, but also holds all things together. For the Bible tells us that in him, all things consist. Number four, our Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. And number five, our God reconciled all things in heaven and on earth to himself through Christ. That includes saints triumphant who are in heaven and saints militant who are on the earth. And number six, when saints are glorified and become immortal, all matter will be redeemed in a new heaven and a new earth. Amen. Amen. Okay. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Doctor. You know, it's good to start uh, from where you ended. And that's, uh, is it that the evangelical and the Pentecostal church does not talk enough about death and the resurrection? And that's why we still appear, even though Christ came to save us from the fear of death, it seems that we are still held in bondage by the fear of death. Well, I guess um, um, it actually takes me back to 1973 when three deaths happened in my village. I've told you maybe the story before. And you could cut fear literally in the air, you know. And when I saw that there was so much fear in the community, I went and asked um, the vicar to allow me to preach. And so I spoke on Hebrews chapter 2, yes where the Bible says that he did through death, okay, he delivered all those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The truth of the matter is that there is nothing to fear about death, okay, itself, but it's the fear of death that kills people. Because a dead man is dead, he doesn't um, know anything. But the idea of death is what petrifies people. And that's what Christ came to remove because it's the fear of death that puts men and women in bondage. And uh, we, we need to address it because uh, death is an appointment according to Hebrews 9.27. It's appointed unto man who wants to die. And so if we don't prepare for it while we are still alive, then we might, we might end up being shocked what will happen to us after death. And that's why it's important 
to talk about um, uh, saints militant and saints triumphant, maybe we, we, we find other terminology to use so that people will get accustomed to it. That when you are on earth, you are a saint militant. When you transition to heaven, you become a saint triumphant. And, and you, you need to be sure that you get there. So maybe, maybe that's what needs to be done. Uh, uh, teach it in a, uh, with um, terminologies that represent it so that people can um, embrace it and then it will no longer be a, a problem. That, that's one aspect. But the other aspect also is maybe we shouldn't be so gripped on materialism. That, that <laughs> heaven, is, heaven is a, a concept that we want to stay away from. Uh, well, well, not really, but the, 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 you know, I've told you before that when this whole um, materialism thing cropped up, I prayed to God and he's told me that it, it can be a very good fishing tool. In other words, and people, everybody wants to succeed, everybody wants to prosper. But when they come in, you know, with that desire to prosper and increase, you then then continue to teach them, you know, about prosperity and increase. You, be, you, you begin to teach them how to be children of God and then prosper as children of God, you know, in righteousness. It's not that the, the, the Christians don't prosper, they, but they prosper in righteousness. And you need the Holy Spirit to guide and direct you so that after you have prospered, you still make heaven. Not that you prospered and went to hell. Doctor, can you, uh, can you speak more about uh, Colossians 2.13? It says, We being dead in our sins and uncircumcision of our flesh, he has quickened together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. And just Colossians to... 2? Yes, 2.13, sir. Ah, but why don't you wait and we'll get there? We're going there. I thought that, no, that's what you just spoke about. No, no. Quite, oh, uh, oh, sorry, I'm forgive me. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. My, my bad, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Forgive me, sir. My bad, I'm really sorry. <laughs> sorry, I, I meant something else. I had written down the questions and I was reading something else. Okay. Is there anyone else that has a question? When I look for my notes. Anybody else? Okay, so when you talk about Christ okay. being the first, uh, the second Adam, yet he is preeminent and was before Adam, can you reconcile that statement, sir? Yes, yes. Christ is the second Adam here on earth, but he's, the, he's preeminent and, 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 and prehistoric, you know, in heaven because. He, he, he came from God. Christ and God are one. Now, like I said, I don't want to... Uh, um, in fact, one, one um, commentator said, struggling with the concept of the three persons in one God, he said that that uh, concept is actually um, only tenable in the context of man's salvation. So that we have the God, the Father, that will receive... Uh, forgiveness and will, that will offer forgiveness. We have the God, the Son that paid for it. And then we have the Spirit that superintends us while we are working it out, working out our salvation and, 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 and getting ready to, to meet with our God. So, so, so that is a concept that, that God is indivisible, you know. So, but, but I mean, some people don't agree because um, um, the Father 
the Son and the Spirit are actually different. But they are one. Why are they different? There are ways. Number one, the Father is of purer eyes than to behold evil. So, so that's why he said to Moses, if I go with you people, you'll all be dead. That is it. The Father is of purer eyes than to behold evil. So he doesn't walk in darkness. When he came to for creation, the first thing he introduced was light. Let there be light. The Bible says he dwells in light unapproachable. So God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. But the son, oh yes, he can walk in darkness. He came here, you know, he didn't stay in heaven given, giving us instructions. He came into it himself, you know, so that, um, uh, and he taught us that when you want to help people, don't stay up there giving them instructions, jump in where they are and lift them up. That's what he came to do. So the sun can walk in darkness and the Holy Spirit also walks in darkness. Okay. And so he takes us from the kingdom of darkness and translates us into the kingdom of God's marvelous light. And now when it comes to the difference between the sun and the spirit, he, Jesus himself told us, so it's expedient in John chapter 16, it's expedient for you that I go away. Because if I do not go away, the spirit will not come. Because you see, Jesus can only be with each one of them in one location at the same time. But when the spirit comes, he will be with all of them in different locations at the same time. So that's how the spirit differs significantly from the sun. And, and the Bible also reveals that Jesus will retain his incarnation. He will retain his incarnation. Listen, okay, then that brings us now to the direction of prayer. Since you've uh, clearly articulated the, the separateness of the Godhead, you know, it can be confusing. Do you pray to the Father? Do you pray to Jesus? Do you pray to the Holy Spirit? Do you pray to all three? Yes, what I always say, what I always say to believers is that there is no rivalry and jealousy in God. <laughs> pray to the Father, pray to the, the Son. They will not uh, uh, be annoyed at, you know, no, 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 no. This is, this, you see, we're using the human element that uh, if um, uh, the senior pastor and the junior pastor and then you're always uh, they asking the junior pastor. The senior pastor will soon block you. <laughs> you see, this is, this is hum humanity. In divinity, there is no such thing. There is no such thing. So okay. pray to the Father. But Jesus himself told us to pray to the Father. So that's what we do. But um, if, you, if you sometimes ask the Lord Jesus Christ, oh no, it won't cause a, a confusion in heaven, please. Thank you, sir. Dr. Evangelist, you have a question? Yes, I have a question, and um, I actually didn't mean to ask any question today, but when uh, doctor took this last subject again, because I am one of those who strongly believe that there's no three persons in one God. Anything that is three must be an idol, in my humble opinion, and not God. Um, <clears throat> there is only one God that manifested himself in three attributes, but not three. Uh, my humble opinion, if we looked at God, God represents character. 
character is one anywhere in the world, in the afternoon, in the night. So the word holiness, if you study it in Hebrew, talk about one. God is one. If you ask any Jew, if you study your scripture very well, the most famous confession in the Bible is know you Israel that your Lord God is but one. We become hypocrites when we show different identity. When we claim to be Christian and we are different by 2 a.m. and we are different at 6 a.m. and we are different in the afternoon. God is one. He manifests in three of his, but there's no three persons. When you become three persons, three character, you know. Okay, okay, doctor, let, let doctor speak on that uh, briefly, and then we will go into our prayers, and then we can take this offline. But doctor, I think we should uh, address this. Yes, yes. Um, and then we'll take it. There are time. people who split hairs on the, on the constitution of the Godhead the truth of the matter is that we don't know. We really don't know. We are trying, you know, not to explain God. No, we're not trying to explain God. We are trying to understand God. So, you see, you, you can give uh, room for shades of opinion, like what um, uh, uh, Brother Cosmas has. Yes, you can give room. Somebody will believe uh, well, there are no three... Uh, persons, there will be three personalities. Oh, 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 please be my guest, whatever you want to believe, you know. But whether you believe in three persons or you believe in three personalities, we all believe that God is one. Okay, so how the intricate reality of that relationship, we cannot really fathom it, we are just attempting to understand it. So nobody can pontificate on it, no. And it's, so, not a, it's not a reason for us to... You know, to... This, it, it, is, it is not a, it's a core issue. Once you believe in one God, you believe in Christ, you believe in the Holy Spirit, you believe in the Father, okay, all right, then however you want to relate them, you know, and still have one God, ah, then it's okay. It's okay. Thank you. But thank you. Let us not split heads. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you for the right. closing prayer and then we'll take the offering. Okay, Father, we are so grateful for your word brings us light. And may your spirit, oh God, lead us daily to be conformed into the image of God's Son. For in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.